Freedom is not a gift bestowed upon us by other men, but a right that belongs to us by the laws of God and nature. Benjamin Franklin. You're now listening to Carolina Conservative. Thank you for tuning in to Carolina Conservative, formerly known as the Matt Gore Podcast, where we will explore the current political environment in America with a focus on North Carolina. Now let's get to the show. Courtney Gills is running for Congress out of North Carolina's 6th Congressional District. Courtney, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. All right. Awesome. Very excited to have you. I've been following you for a month or two now and really excited about your potential of of, uh, gaining that 6th Congressional seat. But first of all, I want to start out with talking about COVID and then we'll get more into the bigger picture after that. Is that all right? Yeah, I mean that's okay. like my life. It's all yeah, I understand. So uh, you are a you are a nurse, correct? Right. Um, so you've been right on the front lines of dealing with us for the last couple of years. So to me, the narrative seems to be falling apart. At least it's changing concerning masking and vaccine mandates. Even CNN and the CDC are changing their tune, especially when it comes to masks. Where where do you see us going next? And are you know, the one thing I, I see is especially like you see schools in California requiring N95s for kids. Are we really going to do that? Yeah, I think that our government wants to instill fear and chaos. I'm a Christian and I look at like the way God created things was shalom and, you know, sin came into the world and suddenly there was no more shalom. Yes. And so I think that what we're seeing right now is pure chaos it's ungodliness and it's manipulation and it's disgusting to me. And so I think what we're seeing, like you said, is their narrative will like fall apart for a second and they'll pick it back up with something else that scares everyone. So I think actually the N95 mask thing, it's funny that that's come up recently because that actually to me, like probably six months ago was my, I don't want to put this the wrong way, but like solution to Uh people who are high risk or people who are scared that they should be able to be fitted. And I say that intentionally because N95s have to be fitted. And so there's multiple different sizes. And if you just go buy one off Amazon, you're not going to have a medical grade N95 that fits you properly. So I felt like a good solution that, of course, I don't believe our government wants solutions. They want chaos and they want control. And so I felt like a good solution because someone posed the question to me, well, you know, if you if you didn't want to take the vaccine, you know, what would your solution be? You know, kind of ask acting the asking those kind of questions that are like legitimate questions because mm-hmm. people really are dying from COVID. And and my answer was, you know, I think everyone should be able to be fitted for an N95 mask if they choose to want to wear one. 
And I think that's the key is someone should have to choose to want to wear one. But I also think that solves the problems for those who are scared and those who are at high risk to have something that will actually prevent them from having COVID. Mm-hmm. And I, I've seen data. I've, I'm in the same boat as far as cloth mask. It's a T-shirt you're wearing over your face. The N95s seem to be the, the best option, but you're right. It's a respirator. It's not a mask that you just go put on. And you know, I used to work in an industry where you had to have respirator fit tests every year. Your face can change, but you know, if you have a beard or not. Um, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And uh, but I have seen data recently that kind of shows that N95s aren't working as well as we even thought they were. But yeah, yeah I, that's I agree. It's a choice on if you're if you feel like that's going to protect you, then it's your choice to wear one. But it's not your choice to force that on me. Right. Yeah. I don't think anything mandated by the federal government should be appropriate. I do think, you know, the initial shutdown, it was weird for me. I was living in Seattle at the time doing travel Mm -hmm. and so I was right there where it all started. Um, And Amazon just decided they were all going to work remote suddenly. And I was like, what? There's like 10 cases of this stuff. Like, why are we worried about this? But it's almost like they knew that it was going to be a problem. And so um, yeah, it's just was kind of a shock to the system, but I was like, okay, I kind of get it maybe two weeks, but it was very uncomfortable. And I'm sure a lot of people felt that way of that unsettling feeling of we're going to shut the whole economy down for mm-hmm. two weeks. So I think that there was somewhat of an appropriate, there would be an appropriate reaction there if this were something that was killing everyone, something like Ebola in Africa, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this is not Ebola. And so I think that the way they're treating us right now, Um, I mean, they talk about sheep. I I joke that we're technically all sheep again, biblically, but we are acting like sheep right now, just following the leader. And the leader is not directing us in a straight path. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. You got to be careful where uh, you don't want to be a lemming just flying out over the hill. So speaking of you being a nurse in the past two years, it's a crazy time. When, When did you become a nurse? Yeah, I graduated in 2012. I went to 2012. Uh-huh. So I to say about that word right. uh, from Bob Jones University in South Carolina. And uh-huh. I first worked at a GI clinic for a few months and then started in the emergency room at Wake Med Raleigh. Mm-hmm. And I did that for a couple of years and then started doing travel nursing so okay. all over North Carolina. Great. Great. Uh, and I know that's a high demand right now for the travel nursing. Absolutely. And that has a lot to do with the vaccine mandate, does it not? Yeah, I think it's incredibly concerning our the status of our healthcare system. It was already, I personally felt like the quality was going down. That's kind of my, they joked about the stump speech. What are, how do you describe yourself very quickly? And I would say the initial way of me getting into this role was me just watching how the healthcare system was working and how hospitals were priority prioritizing profits over the quality patient care at the bedside. And that was infuriating to me. And between conversation with my husband, who's a CPA and in business and seeing how bigger business, the high, the bigger, the business, the higher, the CEOs and further away from, you know, the ground level employee, the worse the decisions are for the quality product and for hospitals, the quality product is patient care and people's lives. Right. And I was seeing decisions that hospitals were making that was affecting the patient's lives. And so now they're painting this picture that 
you know, we have to protect the patients by making these vaccine mandates. But it's interesting because now we're seeing clear documentation that people who are vaccinated are getting COVID, but also they're sending people back to work with COVID into the hospital. Yeah. I think we're creating chaos. Right. So uh, very frustrated. This uh, I sent a letter to my local or an email to my school board last week about trying to have them be creative about dealing with Omicron, not just going remote. And uh, that's one of the things I brought up. I said, if a nurse could go back to work positive, then a teacher can go back to work after just being exposed. I mean, we got, we've got to stop sending everybody who's ever been exposed to anything, you know, lock them up in an isolated, you know, bubble boy is what we're going to become. Um, but as far as you being a nurse, what, what do you think is the biggest mistake we made in the last two years? I think that once we started, really, to me, it was the the straw that broke the camel's back was the mandates. Mm. I, you know, I was presented with the vaccine in December of 2020. I like to really point that out to people because people forget how early it was really released. I mean, right. it was released like nine months after we had our first, you know, COVID case in America or mm -hmm. reported case. That is incredibly fast. And so when I was offered this vaccine, if you wanted to refuse it, you had to sign something saying that you were willing, that you were aware you couldn't get COVID from the vaccine and you were willing to risk the lives of your patients, all the patients in the hospital and all of your friends and family. And with that information, you were willing to decline. And immediately I was like, this is so manipulative. Like mm -hmm. they don't know what's going to happen. And at that point it was under EUA, emergency use authorization. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, even since then, it's like it's just been this progression of seeing the Democrats get up on TV and say, oh, we can't mandate a vaccine. And look, they started mandating it. And it wasn't really surprising to me after we saw all of 2020 that, you know, mid 2021, they're going to say, oh, we're going to force this vaccine on people. They had built that up. They had, they had already been spinning this narrative that you were protecting other people by taking it and, you know, just making a bunch of billionaires out of a bunch of pharmaceutical it's it's funny how the the left Democrats, whoever, they've always been big pharma is, you know, is, you know, big corporations, big pharma, big business is evil. But yeah. now they're singing songs and getting tattoos with Pfizer on their arm. <laughs> is it just Trump derangement syndrome or is it what is going on? It doesn't make sense. And that's that's the frustrating part about liberals is they literally are saying two different things. They're saying tax the rich, but then they're wearing Pfizer tattoos yeah. like that doesn't make sense. But they don't it's mind blowing that they don't really see to know how to do two plus two equals four. But now that I'm seeing the education system and tutoring children of our current generation, seeing where they are mathematically, maybe these liberals don't know how to do two plus two equals four. I don't yeah. know. I, well, I think you might be. I think you might be right. Uh, so I asked you what we did wrong. Did we actually get anything right in the last two years with dealing with COVID? Ugh. you know, I struggle with that question because I think even like the drug that we're giving people in a hospital, remdesivir. Mm -hmm. I gave that like I was an emergency room nurse, not the whole time. I did mostly ER as my career, but most of COVID, I was actually teaching people how to put IVs in, but that's another kind of story. Uh -huh. But I did work in the ER um, this past summer and I was giving remdesivir. And I mean, I was seeing it given the whole time anyway, by other nurses that I was assisting. And 
I just, you know, didn't think much of it because we give antivirals all the time. And I, you know, we just make sure that the dose is right. The speed's right. We're making sure we're giving it the proper way. But when you're in the ER, you don't have time to go look up every single drug and when it was approved, you know, and the more I got to learning about that drug, the more I see it's high risk to the kidneys, high risk to the liver. And then I found out that the best way to give it is early on when you get COVID, but we're giving it to patients once they've already had it for a number of days, even sometimes weeks, and they're a lot worse and it's not even effective per the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. So I struggle and I don't like to go down conspiracy routes because there's no proof in those, but I don't really see where any of the recommendations out of the CDC have gone in a positive way, starting from the very beginning when they told us that we didn't need to wear a mask in the hospital unless we were going in a COVID patient room. And at that point, they only told us to wear two, what I call droplet masks, like the normal surgical Surgical mask. And I would ask, you know, well, how do you know this isn't an airborne illness? Because there's airborne and there's droplet and droplet would be like the flu airborne would be like tuberculosis and we treat them very differently but this was a quote-unquote unknown virus that we didn't know what it was so why are we not wearing n95s well the answer to that is we didn't have n95s because they were in china (laughs) and so had we had n95s we would have been told to wear them because they couldn't tell us hey it's unsafe for you to go in that room without the proper ppe because basic life support cpr tells us to check first is the scene safe Right. So if the scene was not That's safe true. for me to enter, I would not have been allowed to go into work without that proper PPE. So unfortunately, the CDC decided to just tell us that it was safe when it wasn't. And so I just don't, I am very frustrated with the healthcare system. I'm very frustrated with our federal government. And here I am running for U.S. Congress because we need transparency and truth. Yes, absolutely. So moving on, what do you think of the latest CDC guidance and how North Carolina and our school districts are interpreting it. As a, as a parent, it's been very frustrating, the changing rules when it comes to quarantine and everything. And now it's basic medical apartheid. If you're not vaccinated, whether you're a teacher, staff member, or a student, you are treated differently. And the data doesn't back that up right. as far as people being able to spread COVID. I am super frustrated, typical of the CDC recommendation. And it's frustrating even more because as healthcare workers, we used to really depend on the CDC for our data and information, which is why they have done this master manipulation because Mm. healthcare workers do typically just depend on them and not in like a a stupid way. And we have to trust each other. Science cannot progress. And so the fact that they flip-flopped and changed their mind and said things that were completely, absolutely not scientific, like right now, the recommendation from the CDC is that if you're exposed to COVID, but you are vaccinated, you don't have to quarantine at all. You just have to wear a mask, which we all know doesn't do that much for transmission. Mm-hmm. And so, but again, like you said, if you're unvaccinated, they, it doesn't matter if you had COVID before, you know, they don't even identify natural immunity, which I would categorize myself. And actually you can go to LabCorp. This is a plug for LabCorp, not that they're the greatest company either, but you can pay $10 to LabCorp and get your antibodies drawn, which I did. And I have antibodies just so everybody knows. Well, that's <laughs> interesting. I, well, that, 
That's good information because I did not know that you could do that through LabCorp. Um, I did know CVS would do like a pinprick um, finger stick type thing, but it was more than $10. Uh, and I don't have antibodies. So <laughs> unfortunately, I was really rooting for it. <laughs> so well, I definitely had COVID. Def full loss of taste. It was awful yeah. uh, back this past summer. So <laughs> yeah. I've, I've had family members that have had the full-blown thing, but I never, ever caught it. Um, knock on wood, stay away from it. But uh, moving on from COVID, so let's put that to bed for now. Courtney, we, we don't really know each other, but I can tell you're not dumb. <laughs> oh, thanks. Why on earth do you want to run for Congress? I just love truth. And like I've already touched on, I can't stand manipulation. I can't stand people being dishonest. So the fact that we are outright seeing politicians manipulating people and saying literally two things all the time, like there's so many, I mean, we've all seen these videos where they put Nancy Pelosi saying one thing and then Nancy Pelosi saying another thing. And then you say Biden saying one thing, Kamala saying one thing, and you see this back and forth and they're saying opposite things. And then the more infuriating part, if you can't, if you can get past that, is that so many people are following them. And they're being led by these people and they're they're fighting with people like you and I over things that are not true. Right. And so I've actually based my platform on the ideas of truth, justice and unity in America, because those are all things that the Democrats say they're doing, but they're absolutely not. And I think where they go wrong, I mean, aside from the fact that they're not following the Bible at all, but or the Constitution, which is based biblically. Um, Correct. They're going what I would say backwards. They're starting with unity. They're like, Biden's just like, I'm just going to take the presidency and I'm going to unite the country with people that voted for me and didn't vote for me. And I'm going to represent them all. But that's not what he's done. He's done exactly the opposite, which is dishonest. So you can't just force unity on people who are very angry and based on censorship. Mm -hmm. So I think you always have to start with truth under all these things. You have to have truth and you actually do have to have justice. That's a big topic in our country right now. That is, as a Christian, I sit there and go, of course, Black Lives Matter. Of course, racism is wrong. I have friends that have endured racist situations that I know are actually happening. So part of it, again, is true. But then it's like sugarcoated in all of these lies. And so it's like, we have to start with truth to have justice and we can't have unity without truth and justice. So we have to go in that order and not backwards. You're right. Uh, when talking about racism, I've seen actual racism. You've seen actual racism, but that gets so watered down when everything is racist, when everything is phobic, whether right, it's, it's homophobic or transphobic. No, it's not. Um, it's a grift. So, or like you said, they add on, you know, the sexual gender stuff on yeah. top of that, which I find entirely offensive that they would put those two things together. Because, yes, you could categorize them both as being ostracized at certain points, but they're not the same topic. But no. people do put those together. They think, oh, you're not wearing a mask. So you must be racist and homophobic. Altogether. Right. If you're wearing a mask, you you support Biden. If you don't wear a mask, you're you're a right wing conspiracy theorist. <laughs> So you've mentioned Christianity a couple of times. You are a Christian and you mentioned the constitution being based on biblical morals. That's absolutely true. I firmly believe in the separation of church and state mm -hmm. as the founders intended it. It's, right. a, it's to protect the church from the state, not the other way around. <laughs> so 
I hear Christians a lot and, and people expect Christians to kind of leave your leave your religion, leave your morality at the door when we come to making laws. You can't bring that in here. But you think Ilhan Omar leaves her religion at the door when she comes to make? No. Uh, yeah. So, so I, like I said, I believe in the separation of church and state. But if you don't bring your biblical, your, your Christian worldview and morals into right. whether it's your job or how you raise your kids or, or how you teach in school or how you legislate, then, you know, what, are you really a Christian? So I'm glad to hear you say that. And I did, I, I watched another interview that you did, and I heard you bring it up of the importance of, you know, what is, what is the role of Christians or the church in politics? I, I do agree with you. There is a separation of church and state, but people like to throw that term around, but the constitution actually says that Congress shall make no establishment of Correct. religion. So I am not going to the federal, I've never said I'm going to the federal government to establish Christianity as the official, you know, religion of America. Absolutely not. I just believe, and it's, it's, it's apparent, like very drastically in the constitution. I mean, even down to the idea that we're made in the image of God. And that's why we have these rights. And really what I would say is like grace and gifts that God mm -hmm. has given us. And so you can see that. I mean, and you see the way we are founding fathers founded the country was they were escaping religious persecution so that they could have freedom of religion. So of course I want freedom of religion. I want, I don't want to force my religion on anyone. I want them to, you know, as a Christian, of course, I want to be able to tell them about my, my faith. That is never something that I would want officially made where someone feels like they can't speak. I mean, it all goes together with freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, censorship, like all of this stuff goes together. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, but like you, I like to use the word worldview because that's like my favorite word that I don't know that other people that have different worldviews understand that word, but to define it for, if anybody's listening, that's not a Christian, like it's literally how you view the world. So if you view the world through evolution, you have a different worldview of how the world came to be and why things are the way they are as a real, just true evolutionary scientist, whereas a Christian is going to see everything through the lens of the Bible. And so, yes, that's more the way I direct that kind of idea is that I'm going to make decisions through the lens of the Bible. So when you want to know where I stand on something, you can go read the scripture and you'll know. Very good. Very good. I like that. Very good answer. <laughs> so unless things just go completely haywire in the next, I guess, what are we, 10 months, a uh, little less than 10 months, I guess it's more like nine months uh, to the election. There's going to be a, and as long as there are safe and secure, fair elections, which I know is a big topic for you, there should be a red wave across America. As a conservative, that should excite me, but I've been a Republican my entire life, so I've, I've been let down before. <laughs> so am I wrong to feel that way or should I be encouraged by this red wave? I mean, I think we should all be encouraged, but I also think that the way, again, it's almost like they flip the script. Like we've preached election integrity so much that the Democrats are like, yeah, we do want election integrity. So yeah. now the Democrats have to jump on that and be like, we're going to do it 
our way. Just like, and I'm like, at least we're the proactive ones in this situation. <laughs> it's like, usually we're the reactive ones oh, of like, of course I want safety. You don't get to start the safety word. We, we, we say safety, you know, they take all our words from us and they're doing this with election integrity too, where they're like, well, you just don't believe in democracy or elections. If you don't, you know, we can't have a secure 2023 election or 2022 to go into 2023 if we don't enact this law that Biden wants to put forth. And I'm like, hmm, it seems like if you actually mean that, then how do we depend on the 2020 election if we didn't have this law then, which is exactly what we've all been saying, but not because we want that law. He kind of admitted that last week. (laughs) Yes, and crazy to me like how the people don't just catch that which I'm hoping like what you're talking about about going into 2022 that there are more at least moderates that are seeing like two plus two does not equal five we have to start kind of thinking about who we're voting for and so I'm hoping that that is true and regarding election integrity you being in North Carolina I don't know if you've ever met Hal Weatherman but he worked on the Dan Forrest campaign and now works for Madison Cawthorn but Mm -hmm. he has started the Electoral Education Foundation for North Carolina to timestamp the data in the registration file I think it's weekly and looking at trends, looking at things that aren't right and going ahead and proactively getting rid of those things and pushing that to the North Carolina Assembly so that we can really focus on having true election integrity, at least in North Carolina. But my concern is uh, is more the idea that the federal government might be pushing something that's going to harm all of us. Correct. If that actually gets pushed through. And it looks like it won't um, at this point. Uh, crazier things have happened, but it looks like it won't. So that's a good thing. Now, speaking of North Carolina, thoughts on this. I've always found it very interesting. North Carolina typically votes red for presidential or national elections, statewide elections, but uh, except for governor. Governor seems to always go blue. So how does that happen? Who are these voters that either voted for Trump and voted for Cooper or voted for Trump and just didn't vote for Forrest? Who are those voters? Yeah, it doesn't really make sense. I do think there are people who go out maybe and just vote for Trump because Mm -hmm. they like Trump and they just vote Trump and don't fill out the rest of the ballot. I don't think that's really typical Republicans. If you're out there to vote, you're going to vote straight ticket pretty much. Um, And I'm sure a lot of Democrats are the same way. I don't think that makes sense. I think that's that math that's not adding up. That's why we're all kind of triggered to look at what's going on in our elections when we have a lieutenant governor when Trump is, is red and Trump is red and and we have this movement in the legislature toward red on you know all fronts and we see lots of things flipping red and mm-hmm. but you know our general consensus was blue um I don't think that makes sense I to give the benefit of the doubt I always like to argue the other side of the party um or the other side of the argument Um, on all cases. And in this situation, I have talked to some people and they said that there was some pushback on Dan Forrest's policy with masks that I think, unfortunately, again, it was this scare tactic that was all Mm -hmm. across America where people were terrified and they kind of liked somebody to act like a dad and tell them what to do. And Dan Forrest wasn't going to do that. So I do think there were some people who didn't like his policy on masks that maybe voted for, um, for our Lieutenant governor or for Trump. But um, yeah, I don't think it makes a lot of sense, but you know. Yeah, I, I don't, it's always, and it's not just this election, it's going going back for years and years, always a democratic governor, but Republican president for the most part. 
So you were delayed uh, in filing to run for Congress because of all the redistricting lawsuit nonsense. Has all that been resolved? Have you been able to officially file? No, right now they're listing filing as the end of February. So we'll see, which is super frustrating. Have they pushed back the primary again? So there was some debate on that. As of right now, I think it's still May, May, but there was a legislative push that I think went to Governor Cooper, maybe that was pushing it out to June because they were assuming the judge, the Superior Court was going to decide to make them redistrict. But I think that's still, as far as I know, in limbo. There has been some news I ran and find out today that okay. I heard, but I don't, I don't know about that. Okay. Gotcha. As it stands, the sixth district, which is what you're running for, that's a newer district, correct? It's a new makeup. David Price has represented that area for the most part since '87. Is that right? '88. Yeah, so it, it's what Durham, Orange County. Uh, you're you're in Hillsborough, correct? Um, I grew up in Hillsborough. My PO box says Hillsborough because okay, it's part of the PO box. But yeah, I grew up in Hillsborough. I live in Durham now. And then the okay. other part of that district is a piece of Wake County, which is Cary, Morrisville, and Apex. Okay, gotcha. So traditionally, like I said, that's been Democratic for a long time. Can a Republican win that seat? Well, I'm going to try. So well, my husband, I mean, he's a data guy. So we've uh-huh. done a lot of different analysis. And I think when you like look at the percentages, so if you just look at registration, that's not super hopeful. But if you look at how people have voted in the past, like if you look at the Democrat and the Republican candidate and looked at how many votes the previous the previous candidate, which he told me himself, he didn't campaign that hard for it. So I would say I'm a better candidate, in my opinion, and from other people that I'm a better candidate. And he didn't work that hard for the seat and he got 30 percent of the vote. So if you look at it from that standpoint first, and then you look at this 10-point gain we're getting in Virginia, New Jersey, all this red wave that we're talking about, that's up 40%. And then you just have the idea of there not being an incumbent. Statistically, you can flip a seat easier if the incumbent is not running. Mm -hmm. So also, I mean, if Clay Aiken wins the Democrat seat, there's a whole lot of moderates that are not going to get on board with that. So we can hope. (laughs) And I, I think, you know, the timing is certainly perfect for it. Yeah. I mean, the like you said, the red wave, the frustration with the out of control left at this point. Um, I think it's definitely ripe for the picking. So yeah, we definitely wish you all the luck. So what is your, your number one priority when you get to Washington? Well, the general thing is always going to be truth. So I think we have to work on censorship. We have to work on the Communication Decency Act with Section 230. We have to reform that. It was supposed to help with freedom of speech. That was the intention of it. But really, it just gave all these tech companies free reign of censorship and no checks and balances there. So definitely want to work with, you know, if I'm elected with my counterparts on reforming that to where, you know, the individual, we're going to need to define what is the press. We need to define are you in, in fra- putting an infraction on someone's freedom of speech, even though it's a private business? Like we're gonna have to kind of define these terms very strategically, I think, to make sure that there is still freedom of speech, there is still freedom of the press, but we can't have private businesses that are controlling all of the media, right. um, censoring people's voice. Yeah, two thirty is definitely something that I wish they had done something in the past, and you know, four years ago to fix. I mean. Facebook, I don't care. Just pick a pick a lane. Are you a publisher? 
or are you a platform? You can't have it both ways. So yeah, I I think that is definitely a priority going forward. So tell us, you mentioned the fight for truth, justice, and and unity. Uh, You had an event, what was it, last week or two weeks ago. Can you tell us a little bit about what what was learned at that event? Yeah, I had Seth Keschel, who is from Texas. He's been traveling the country. I think he was kind of discovered around the MyPillow guys symposium that he had those 72 hours. He was on that. That's where my husband learned about him and we started following him on Telegram. And he has done, you know, an in-depth analysis down to the county level, sometimes the precinct level. I just saw a map that he had put out down to the precinct level, I think, of Wake County. And he kind of shows like which ones statistically have moved not you know, per the registration data, which I'm hoping for my district that I'm able to flip a lot of registration data. So there is some of that you have to keep in mind that people aren't necessarily going to vote the way they register. But typically, he said, from years past and showing trends that people do vote toward the registration trends. And so he was presenting his data on um, North Carolina, specifically a lot of my districts and showing you know, surprisingly, it's kind of funny, like Orange and Durham County didn't look as bad as like Alamance County in his in his analysis, which my husband also worked on the Georgia election after um, the 2020 election. And he was noticing a lot of the sim- similar things that, you know, everybody wants to focus. He was working on, you know, like things like Fulton County, but he was looking at the whole state as well. And he himself, if he could decide how people were going to investigate, he would have said to look into those smaller, more red districts and see where these trends and where these votes don't seem to really make sense. So um, again, it was kind of the same, the same pattern that Seth Keschel was really presenting was the things that you would expect were not really the ones that were the problems per his data. And so we heard that, we heard from Hal Weatherman. We also heard from Felice Pete, who's just an African-American Republican. She likes to say little R because she's not, it's not just an adjective, it's a noun to her. She is a Republican. She's not just Republican. She is Uh is a Republican. And she looks at that as part of her identity, part of her values. And she's just a phenomenal speaker, great motivational. Like when you say you feel down, she just picks you right back up. And so, um, yeah, she was great. And yeah, we had a great night. We had a lot of people there and I think there was, it was all around a good night. Good. Uh, Do you have any other events planned coming up? Yeah, we have a fundraising dinner in Cary at McGregor Downs on February the 10th. And so that one will be a little fancier, but no fun, you know, special speakers except yours truly me. Okay, perfect. <laughs> hey, you're you're an entertaining speaker as well, so don't oh, sell okay. yourself short. Is there anything else that you want the people in your district to know about you that makes you the right person to represent them? A question I get a lot is like, why do you, why are you not going to be different? Why are you not going to get to DC and you know change who you are? And, you know, I can only by the grace of God, you know, not change, but I will say I have been the same little girl. You can act like I joked, even at this event, my parents were there and they like, you know, pipe in. Yeah, she's, it was a challenging teenager because (laughs) I was not a bad teenager, but I had a mouth on me and I always stood for what I believed in. I distinctly remember multiple debates in high school where I just, you know, kind of got in people's face. And I would say through college, being at a Christian college, I actually, would say I took a little bit of a step back, not in my faith, but in realizing that discretion of like how to do truth and grace well, loving people while giving truth and talking, you know, when we talk about being a representative, it'll be more about law, like what is lawful, if we don't think the law is just, we don't need to shout in the streets, we need to change the law. 
And so I hope to be the same little girl that I have always been. I've grown up the same girl. My husband jokes that he wants me to go get mad at people in Washington instead of him. Because <laughs> <laughs> I tend to be very bold in my opinions. And so I feel like I am going to be unapologetically Courtney if I'm elected. And I'm always going to speak truth. And yeah, if people want to support, they can donate on CourtneyGillsForCongress.com, which is, you know, it's going to be an expensive race. The Democrats throw millions of dollars into these races. I don't think I need millions of dollars, but I am going to need some money. So people are willing to donate so we can have a fighting chance. And also if anyone is local, which you are local, but still a little bit further away um, and want to volunteer, there's always lots of volunteer opportunities. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, And you said a couple of things I want to take away from that is truth and and grace and giving that truth. I agree. My, My first podcast of this season was Fear is a Liar. And I'm tired of giving into the fear, uh, which I wasn't giving into the fear, but I'm tired of seeing it, but I'm not going to participate anymore either. I'm going to love people who, who are still afraid and, and still going along with the narrative, but I'm not going to play along with it anymore. Um, I'm not going to, because to me, it's, it's giving into the, the cult-like behavior that has become uh, COVID. Uh, and it, it's just, it's not healthy and I'm just not going to give into it anymore. And then you mentioned being bold, unapolog- unapologetically Courtney, when you get there, that's what we need. <laughs> it's, it's nice to be nice and it's nice to be um, friends and everything and be liked, but we, we need boldness. And I, I know I, I can tell you're not going there to, to make friends, but you're going there to, to make change. So I appreciate that. So again, Courtney Gills, That's right. say it right, running for Congress out of North Carolina's 6th Congressional District. Uh, we will put your website and, and links in our, in our description and shoot that out on Facebook, on Gitter, on Gab, on YouTube, Rumble, everywhere. Spotify, everywhere. Uh, So Courtney, thank you so much for being with me today. I really enjoyed our conversation and I look forward to uh, seeing seeing you uh, do well in this race. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Hope to talk to you soon. If you made it this far into the show, I'm hoping you liked it. If that's the case, please do me a favor and like, rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Also, be sure to find me on social media. My links are in the description. Thank you for listening. God bless you, and God bless America.